Well, good morning, everybody. We're in a series called 316, and uh, we are going through the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, very famous verse, and I want to see if you guys memorized it. No, I didn't ask you to memorize it, but I just figured some of you haven't memorized. So before I put it on the screen, I want to hear you say it. Ready? Four. All right, I heard mumbling. I heard Steve, good job. I think I heard Bill, um, but everybody else were just mumbling. And you know what? That's the best way to make it look like you know the verse without actually admitting that you don't. Okay, so <laughs> here it is, and uh, I'm not here to diss anybody, but I heard somebody say only begotten child. Um, we're gonna talk about that today, but the yellow part here, for God so loved the world that he gave, is what we already talked about for the past few weeks. If you wanna learn more about this, Go listen to the previous sermons because today we're focusing on this phrase right here. Next slide. Right here. His one and only son. Notice it doesn't say begotten son. You're going to learn that more modern translations don't use the word begotten because it's actually a mistranslation. That's why. I know. I know. For those of you who memorize the old, the, you know, it's actually, it was introduced in the King James Version of the Bible. And since then, they're like, that's not what we thought it meant. We'll talk about that. Okay, so uh, today we're talking about his one and only son. And just because I want to look smart, I'm going to show you what it looks like in Greek. This is what it looks like in Greek, okay? This is pronounced heotheo, okay? And this is the word that's like in question, this one right here, because it looks like a Latin word that means birthed or begotten. Like I said, we'll talk about that later. And this is what, you know, because Jesus spoke Aramean, like, like Hebrew, and that's what this will look like. You read from over there, okay? That's bene ha Elohim, right? So, son of God. Okay, so today we're gonna be asking the question, what does the son of God mean? Because I think we made a lot of assumptions, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. This means, you know, this means a lot to you, but at the same time, you hear it so often, it's kind of lost its meaning, right? Um, like, the son of God, like, I have a son, Okay, and I was there when he was born. I mean, is, is, are we saying that, that the Father God was like, like, oh, Gucci, Gucci, oh, my little boy, I'm gonna name you Jesus. Like, was he born after the Father or were they both eternal? If they're both eternal, how could he be the Father and the Son? Like, like is, does this literally mean, like, he's on the Maury Povich show and it's like, Jesus, you are the son of, I don't know if you guys watched that show. Back in high school, you know, okay, thank you. 90s and 90s reference, thank you. Okay, right? Like, okay, well, here's the thing. If Jesus is the son, who's the mom, right? And you're like, oh, Mary is. But yeah, Mary was the mom when Jesus came to the earth with a physical form. But was he the son even before he was born here on earth 2,000 years ago? I don't know if you guys asked these questions before, but it is confusing if you think about it, right? There's the son and there's the father. And here's another thing. The reason why I gave you the Greek and the Hebrew is depending on which culture you're from, it has different types of significances. If you've been with us for the past few years, you know that I talk a lot about how in the Roman Empire, in the Greek language, um, <clears throat> the son of God is actually a very political, politi politically charged term because the Caesar back then used to call himself the son of God. Today, we're gonna to be focusing on what does it mean for a Jewish person, a Hebrew language person from that culture 2,000 years ago, 
What does it mean to them? Because it's not a politically charged word for them. It's actually a very theologically packed word. So, as you can guess, it's going to be a very dense sermon today. And so, if you're the kind of guy that's like, "Hey, I like to take notes. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Bible nerd," this is your day, man. Everybody else, I hope it's cold enough in here so it stays keeps you awake. Right? Um, right before the sermon started, Dean was like, I'm going to go get coffee. It's like, you're going to need it, man. Right? Because <laughs> I need you to stay up when you move the slide, that's, advance the slides. Okay. So the first thing that we do, a lot of scholars, the, way, the, the thing that we do when we come across a word that we don't understand is we always go back to, it's, it's called the principle of first mention. Where do we see this term used first in the Bible? The first time we see the word bene ha Elohim is actually in Genesis chapter 6. Yes. We're going back to Genesis because that's my favorite book. So here we go. And this is the story of Noah. This is like the beginning of the Noah story. When humans began to increase in number, the sons of God, and there it is, Bene Elohim, saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Yeah, very clear. Okay, we're going to talk about this in a few months when we go through the book of Genesis chapter 1 which points to chapter six. Um, but basically, the sons of God does not really mean that God had kids, and right? The word son of usually means that you are somehow representing. So today, I don't know if we use that. Oh, like if we were to say like a son of anarchy, they're like anarchy didn't have a bunch of sons, right? They represent this, this ideal. So these are spiritual beings. Okay, God has... You know, God has a big job, he does everything, but he also likes to partner, and in that partnering, he employs some of the spiritual beings that are around him to do his work. So, in this verse, spiritual beings are referred to as the sons of God. If you're, more, if you're interested in this, like I said, we'll talk about this in a few months, but if you want to do your own homework, uh, they make references to the spiritual beings in Psalm 29, Psalm 82, and Psalm 89. So, you don't have to do this, this isn't homework, but... If you're interested, you can look at that. Okay. The second time we see the phrase son of God or sons of God is in the book of Exodus. Okay, so let's take a look at Exodus. This is the Moses story. This is how it goes. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, he's taught, you know, God's like, I want you to go to Egypt and get, let my people go. See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. Moses is saying, you want me to go back to Egypt and free the slaves? I have to go talk to Pharaoh? He's not going to listen to me. He's going to say, who sent you? It's like, well, when he asks you that, I want you to say that the Lord has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. And he's going to say, who is that? Do some miracles to perform, do some miracles, and then say, this God sent me to do it, right? But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Like, but, you know, Pharaoh's not going to be impressed by this. So this is what you're going to do after that. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel, the nation, is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse, right? So in this story, a nation is represented as the son of God. Ha, bene ha Elohim. There it is. Again, you're like, whoa, this is getting confusing. Right? I don't know if you guys knew that the Son of God is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. The next time we see this phrase is all the way later, like 
near the, like a third into the Bible, called the book of 2 Samuel, okay? King David, you know, he made some mistakes. You know, he killed a few people, right, to cover up his adultery. And so, eventually he repents and he says, okay, God, I, I, I'm back to where I'm supposed to be again. I wanna build you a house, like a temple. And God says, with your bloody hands? I don't think so. But we'll let your son do it. This is that part of the story. When your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring, he's talking about Solomon, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom, okay? And then, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So in this case, well remember, first we have spiritual beings as son of God, we had a nation as a son of God, and now we have a person as son of God. What, what does God just like have like a bunch of like labels, the son of God just passing it out to whatever he feels like? What is he doing here, right? So this comes back, I mean, I don't know if it's clear for you, I hope it's not, because we're gonna ask the question again, what does the son of God mean? Okay, so first thing I wanna do is I wanna focus just on, next slide, just the word son of. Okay, son of, depending on which translation you ask, could be also be translated as offspring or children, okay? So, for example, and this is something that Jews use all the time. For example, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, Jesus says, you guys are an offspring or the son of or the children of vipers. He's looking at the religious community. He's like, you guys are acting like the sons of, the son of vipers, okay? Now, is he really saying that snake laid a bunch of eggs, and out of the eggs came out these religious rulers? No, right? He's saying, you're acting as if your dad is the serpent. You are deceivers, right? This is what he's saying here. Um, later on, chapter 23, when Jesus lists all these woes, like things that, like, things that Jesus doesn't like, he, he calls the religious rulers, you're the offspring of hell. Again, can hell have kids? <laughs> right? The point I'm trying to make here is this, that when somebody says you are the son of something in the, Jewish cult, in the Jewish culture, it means that you're acting like, so if somebody would act like me and not related to me, you would say, oh, George, I don't know, just name, right? You are the son of Kotz, but it doesn't mean that we're actually related. He's, they're saying you're acting like Kotz. So for example, there are parts in the Bible when people are like, I am the son of Abraham, when clearly he is not. You're saying you are acting like you are the child of somebody who follows God. Okay, I don't know if I'm like breaking categories and messing with, like I don't know how you're feeling right now, but here's my working definition of the term son of God. It's a respected title for those who were given authority by God to do work on behalf of God. Okay, so if you are a son of God, a child or offspring of God, and they call some, if somebody in the Jewish community calls you that, that means that you are acting on behalf of God because God gave you the authority to do so, okay? So when, you do, when you're doing good, when you're being sacrificial, when you are bringing peace, when you're bringing people together, in that culture, they might say, has God appointed you to do this because you're acting like a son of God, okay? Cool, okay, let's keep going. So a son of God should not be, um, misunderstood with the Son of God, which Jesus is, okay? So let me tell you a story of a Son of God and the Son of God. 
In the Old Testament, like I just showed you, there were some spiritual beings. These spiritual beings were supposed to be doing God's work. God gave them the authority to go and do God's work. But as you saw in Genesis chapter 6, what were they doing? They were interfering with God's creation. Spiritual beings and humans were not supposed to mix like that, but they were like, ooh, check out those hotties. And so they came down and they took them. And then if you read on the story, they had babies that were like giants. Okay, that wasn't supposed to happen. These sons of God, these offsprings of God, were given the authority to do God's work, but they didn't. They failed at their task. The nation of Israel were, was called the son of God, right? They were given the authority to be a representation of God. They were supposed to go out there and do amazing things for God. And so God rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and said, now you're going to be a great nation. Now go bless the world. And if you read through the Old Testament, you find out that they messed up over and over and over and over and over again, right? And then we have King Solomon. Solomon was supposed to be the son of God or a son of God. But he was given authority. He was given wisdom. If, if you know the story of Solomon, is that he was given infinite wisdom and he became the richest dude, right? And then... He messed up. He had con- like 666 concubines and wives, and he, he got carried away with his power, and he totally messed up. He was given the authority and responsibility to represent God. And he, in the Old Testament, they would say he handed the power and authority that God has given him, and he gave it away to the darknesses of this world. So after a while... People are like, is that him? Is that the son of God? Is, 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 no, okay, that didn't work out. What about that? Is that nation the son of God? Oh, no, that didn't work out. What about those spiritual beings? Oh, no, that didn't work out. And after a while, they were like, maybe these aren't the people we're supposed, to, we're supposed to put our hope in. Instead, maybe there is the son of God, the actual son of God that's going to show up one day and succeed in the places that all these other offsprings, children of God, have failed. And so for a long time, these people, these Jews, they started waiting, like maybe one day, the Son of God will show up. So if you have read through the book of Luke, which if you've been with us for the past few years, you know that we went through the book of Luke, this is exactly what he had in mind when he wrote his gospel, his biography of Jesus. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be looking from Luke chapter 3, verse 21, all the way to the first part of chapter four. Because I think a lot of us, including myself, we haven't really read the whole thing through. We, we see like three different stories, but it's actually supposed to be read together. So we're gonna do that, and you'll see exactly what Luke is doing here. What he's doing here is like a masterpiece, okay? So I'm gonna break it down. I'm gonna give you like an overview first, and then we're gonna read it. So first, we're gonna be looking at 321 through 22, where Luke writes a story where Jesus is recognized as the son of God. But the question that a reader would have is, okay, is he just one of the other sons of God that we've seen in the past that's failed? Or is he actually the son of God? And then the next part, for the rest of chapter three, right, um, at this point, Luke says, yes, he is the children of God. He is one of the many that you've seen in the past. But then in the beginning of the next chapter, he says, no, 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 but he actually is the real deal, okay? So this, I'm gonna remind you of this because reading it all together, as one, one long cohesive story is important to understand what Luke is doing here. So let's start with this one. Jesus is the son of God. Luke chapter three, 21 through 22. Okay, so here it is. 
When all the people were being baptized, John the, Baptist, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing all these people at the River Jordan, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him, uh, him in bodily form like a dove. Wow, like that's never happened before. Next slide. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son. There's that line. We've heard that line before because we read the Old Testament. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So imagine if you're like the first century people who are hearing this story for the first time or you're reading it for the first time. And you're like, whoa, there it is. Could he be the son of God? No, he's one of the other many, many children, offsprings of God because, you know, we've gotten our hopes up so many times and been disappointed so many times. This can't be, he can't be it. But there's something different about this one because the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Could he be the real deal, right? The question that people are asking as they read this is this question right here. Is Jesus the son of God? Is he the one that's not gonna fail where everybody else has failed? And that's the first part of the three parts that we're reading today. So next we're gonna go to the middle part. He first wants to say, this is what Luke is trying to do. Hey, let me tell you that Jesus is actually a part of a long lineage of the offspring of God. So this is the next part. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. When he was the son, uh, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Now why would Luke say that? I mean like, Joseph is probably like, oh Luke, ah, don't say that, right? But we all know that Jesus is the son of Mary, but not necessarily the son of Joseph, right? Luke is saying this on purpose to remind the readers, look, Joseph and Mary raised him, but he's not really the son of Joseph. But what's weird here is after he says, oh, he's the son of Joseph, although they're not really related, he goes on, next slide, to this long genealogy. Well, why would Luke give us a genealogy when we already established in the verse before that he's not really related to him, right? Why would he do that? We're gonna get to that. So he's like, he, like Joseph, the one that's not really Jesus' dad, is the son of Heli, the son of Matat, I don't know, how, I'm gonna mess this up, guys, son of Levi, son of Melchi, the son of Yanai, the son of Joseph, let's keep going, son of Matathias, son of Amos, uh, Nahum, Esli, Nagai, sounds like a Japanese name, uh, Matathias, uh, same name over here, son of Semain, Yosek, Yoda, oh, there's Yoda, there he is. Next slide, <laughs> son of Yohanan, uh, son of Risa, Zerubbabel, okay, let's keep going, let's keep, next slide. <laughs> uh, next slide, let's keep going. I'm just giving you an idea what Luke wrote here, okay? And right here, let's stop right here, because you're gonna start recognizing some of these names. We're going all the way through the Old Testament here. After Perez, we have Judah, or Judah, then we have Jacob, or Jacob, Isaac, oh, Abraham, we know him, right? Terah. Nahor, next. Seru, you're like, I don't know Reu, I don't know Peleg or Eber, but you know, but then we get to like, oh, I don't know if you guys know uh, Arphaxad, but the Shem, that's where we get the word Semite, because this is a, you know, Jew. Noah, we know Noah, right? There's Lamech. And then we get to the last page here. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Yared or Jared, son of Mahalel, Kenan, Enosh, Seth, son of Adam. Now, why would Luke give us this long genealogy after he makes the point that Jesus is not related to, to any of these people? And you would think that this genealogy ends with Adam, right? 
But Luke makes his intention very clear, at least in that culture, with the very next line. Because he could have just ended with Adam, but this is how he ends this verse. Adam, the son of God. Wait, is Adam the son of God? You mean like Adam's on par with Jesus? No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, this is not a DNA lineage of Jesus. This is not a biological lineage of Jesus. What he just did there is he gave us a lineage of all the people who have been appointed by God to do God's work, but have also failed. So I'll give you an example. Here's Adam. Adam had many failures. I don't know if you guys know this. Adam failed big time. That's why humanity is so messed up today. Okay, so let's, here, let's list them for Adam. You know, Adam's like, please don't talk about this. Well, we're going to talk about it. Here we go. First is, I don't know if you guys know about the fruit story, you know, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, no sin in the world. Serpent comes and says, here's a little piece of fruit that you might want to eat, right? And immediately there, there's a temptation. The temptation is, should I pick something that's temporarily good over something that's eternally good? And they picked something that was more temporary good. That was the first temptation, right? Temporary versus everlasting. Second temptation is the temptation of power. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells us when Adam and Eve, they looked at the fruit, it was good for eating, and they thought that by eating this, they could gain wisdom so they could be like God. They're like, ooh, power, we want that, right? And so they grab it and they eat it. And the third problem of Adam is that they're twisting God's word. The serpent comes and said, did God really say that, that death will come upon you if you touch or eat of this fruit? Right? And, and they're like, no, nah, I don't know. I don't think so. So they took it in, right? So they twisted God's command. They twisted God's word. So that leads us to the third part of the three-part story, Right? where Luke says, oh, but this guy, Jesus, he's not like the other children of God. He is the son of God. This is that story. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And by the way, the word wilderness in the Hebrew mind could refer to a desert, but it could also be talking about the garden. So this is like a little nudge right here, right? Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Hmm, where is there a story in the Bible where there was temptations and in the garden? Okay, let's keep going. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry, like a normal human being, right? Well, he said after the 40 days he was hungry, so I don't know if that's normal. Okay, let's keep going. The devil said to him, If you are, there it is, the son of God. If you are one of the people in that lineage of people who have been called by God to do amazing things, you know, but failed. If you really are an offspring of God, tell the stone to become bread. If you are the the, the image bearer of God, so you claim to be, then take something that is, you know, I know you're hungry. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you to do something that speaks to your appetite. Take this bread, uh, take this stone and turn into bread and eat it, thus ending your fast. I'm asking you to take something that could be eternal and trade it in for something that's temporary. Let's see, what what does Jesus do? Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Bam, boom, right? He just says, nope, not gonna be tempted by that. And the devil's like, okay, let's try something else. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Now, 20 second time out here. Okay. 
what's happening here is, remember what I said when uh, that the children, offspring of God, you know, so that we're talking about the spiritual beings, we're talking about King Solomon, we're talking about the nation of Israel. God gave them authority over the world to bless it. But instead, they gave in to their temptations and they handed their authority over to the world. That's what happened, okay? Here, the devil is taking Jesus to a high place to show the kingdoms of the world, saying, all this authority that your people have handed to me, I could give it back to you. Jesus, isn't that why you're here in the first place, right? I could give it back to you if you just do this one little thing. Let's see what the temptation is. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor that your people have given to me in the past. It has been given to me, right? And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. It's yours. What is this the temptation of? The temptation of power. You came here to die. And that was the way that you're going to reclaim the world. I have an easier way for you to do it. You could get your power with less work and less dying, okay? You just bow down to me and it's yours. How does Jesus respond to this? Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Bam, pow. Not gonna, that, that doesn't tempt me. So the devil's like, okay, well, I got one more trick up my sleeve. Let's see if this one works. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Jesus. Because your words, the Bible, in the Deuteronomy, it says, he will command his angels concerning you, you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in, the ha- in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He's like, boom. I just quoted a passage from your own text, Jesus. And in your text, it says that the angels will not let you be harmed. And Jesus, he knows the scriptures. He looks at it and says, wait a minute, you took that verse out of context. What this verse really says is it's not, you know, he will keep you from falling when you jump. It says that he'll keep you from falling when you fall, right? This is a big difference there. So Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What was that a temptation of? The twisting of God's word. And Jesus is like, pow, boom. Nope, not gonna be tempted by that. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him, uh, he left him until an opportune time. Uh, if you guys like watch those like cartoons from the 80s or whatever, Inspector Gadget, it's always, it always ends with like, I'll get you next time, Gadget, next time, and he flies away. This like, oh, you know, or, you know has like the, 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 the villain mustache, like, I'll get you next time. This is exactly that. It's not original to those cartoons. This is, anyways, okay. <laughs> okay, so, okay. If you look at the list of the people who were considered to be the sons or uh, the, the offspring or the children of God in the Old Testament, all of them failed because of at least one of those three temptations. Jesus right here, he's, what he's telling us, what Luke is telling us through this text is that Jesus passed the test. And because he passed the test, this proved that he is not like the other children of God. He is the true son of God. All the other sons of God in the past were pointing to one day the real guy's gonna, the real deal is gonna be here, and that real deal is finally here, and he just proved it by showing the devil that he is not gonna take his authority that his father's given him and give it to the devil or give it to the world. So let's look at this John 3.16 again, and maybe it'll make more sense this time. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Remember how I said that the word begotten is not actually a good translation? The word begotten implies that the father was there, like, and whoever the mother is, gave birth to Jesus, right? But we all know that Jesus, Father, father Son, and the Holy Spirit are all eternal. They don't have a birthday, right? So, the, and the reason why the word, begot, the word begotten showed up in the text in, in the old King James Version is because they didn't know how to translate that word, but it sounded like a Latin word which meant birth. So they said, it must mean that. And so they translated it as begotten. But as, they, as the scholars researched this word, they discovered more and more that it actually means it's the only unique. It means if there's like a whole category of stuff, he's like, we create a whole new category just for this one person that, that fits that category. That's what that word means. That's why this translation is pretty good, where he says, his one and only son. There's no, one, no other one like that. So, the Son of God, this is the word translation, uh, the, the definition that I, I came up with. The Son of God is Jesus, the true visible authority and representation of the invisible God. Everybody else that was appointed to be like Jesus have failed. But Jesus showed up and said, guess what? I'm the actual real deal. All those others were imitations. They were trying to be like me, but here I am, the real deal. And look, the proof of it is that I passed the test. So in comparison to this, right, because there's only one true son of God, everybody else are considered to be the child of God, they're children of God, a, a respected title for those who were given authority to do work on behalf of God. Now, something interesting happens when Jesus showed up in history. When Jesus showed up, he had followers, the 12 disciples. And after Jesus died and rose again, proved himself to be faithful and the true son of God, his followers discovered something interesting. They, they, they said, you know, what's weird is the closer we got to Jesus, the more we started to transform on the inside. Like we were becoming better people. Like we were starting to sacrificially love on people. We've never done that before Jesus, but all of a sudden we're becoming people who sacrificially love the people around us. And the closer my relationship with Jesus is, the more I start to have empathy for people like something's changing inside of me. And what they discovered, and especially the first century Christians, one of them, his name is Paul, Paul the Apostle. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He made a claim, he's saying, you know, in the past, people had to follow the rules in the Old Testament to be considered like the Son of God, and they all failed. But for some reason, we who don't follow the rules of the Old Testament, we just get closer to Jesus and we become more and more like Christ, who is the true son of God. So we basically are the children of God. So in the New Testament and on till today and on beyond today, people call themselves the children of God if they consider themselves followers of Jesus. Because the closer you are to Jesus, the more you are acting like you are the son of God or the child of God, the offspring of God. So if you are committed to following Jesus, you are a child of God. You are the hands and feet of God. You are the ambassadors of God. You are the representation of God here on earth. You are the visible, tangible hands and feet and the love of God that most people can't see in this world. And that's what Paul says the church is. The church, you and I, we are the children of God because the closer we get to, God, to Jesus, we become, the tr we become closer and closer to the image of the true Son of God. 
And a lot of people looked at this and said, wow, that's, that's kind of like good news. Maybe we should call it that, the good news. Yeah, let's do that. And so since the first century, people have relied on the character of Jesus. They relied on their closeness to Jesus to change the world. It wasn't people saying, hey, there's a bunch of rules in the Old Testament. Let's follow these rules and maybe we could change the world. Maybe we could make a better impact in this world. Maybe we could you know, convert some people by following the rules and then telling them to follow these rules. No, 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 no. In the first century and on, people realized, no, there's something interesting about how when we get closer and closer to Jesus, walls start coming down. Like, I don't have prejudice for my, people, for my, for my brothers and sisters of a different race anymore. Just because they have a different kind of lifestyle, it doesn't make me want to shut them out anymore. It makes me want to bring them in. And this was the movement that sparked the Christianity, the, the Jesus movement. This, this is the thing that changed everything. And we get to be a part of that because we are considered to be the children of God. Amen? All right, let's pray.